Welcome to the Village Church Podcast Show. This is episode four. I'm Josh Patterson. Excited to be here with you. And I am uh, joined by Adam Griffin and Ann Lincoln Halabah. Let me tell you just a little bit about them. And Lincoln has been here on staff coming up on, what is it, Ann, 11 years? 11 years. Crazy. 11 years. Crazy. Served here as our children's minister. Uh, all those years and just been sowing good seeds into the life of the next generation. And Adam Griffin is the spiritual formation pastor at the Dallas campus. Adam's been on staff for three years. Is it, is it kind of three years and some because you were here it's, and then you weren't and then you were here? And... No, it's three years solid okay. all the way through. I mean, you may have wished it was less, <laughs> uh, but it's been three in a row. Years. All in a row. Yeah. What about that time you were an intern? I was an intern five years ago. Okay, so see, here? it was yes. not here. For Blake? Yes, that's while funny. you worked here. That's how invisible yeah. I was. Well, I knew you well, welcome were back, in the office such an next impact door a lot, but I didn't know that you impact. were working here. Yeah, uh, they paid me. Okay. You really have. Um, you've, you've had a great impact. No jest in that. You really have. And Ann Lincoln, I think it's important. Um, your name, your first name yes. is Ann Lincoln. That's true. And with any E, no hyphen, two Lincoln. words, not two names. one name. Yes, Ann Why, Lincoln, two t- words, Talk to us about Ann Lincoln. Where did that come from? Yeah, um, so I was named for both of my parents. Um, my mom's middle name was Ann. My dad's middle name was Lincoln. So they named me Ann Lincoln. And you have been explaining that? My whole okay. life. Yes, yeah. when I was little actually, well, little until eighth grade, um, there weren't enough uh, character spots on like roll sheets or report mm. cards. And so my full first name was never anywhere until there was a strong conversation that my father had okay. <laughs> that <laughs> resulted for that. So, uh, yeah, so first day of school and anytime my name was called out by someone who didn't know me, it just was butchered and I hated it. Well. And Lincoln, we're grateful for you. Thank you. We are grateful for you. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about Village 101. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, really our month of prayer, the month of January being a month of prayer for us. We're going to move into culture and theology. We're, we're going to talk about the umbrella topic of the sanctity of human life, but really drill down into one specific issue uh, there, and that issue being the issue of abortion. We'll move in uh, after that to our ministry and leadership segment where we'll talk about family discipleship and the significance of what that is and the language and the framework that we've created here at the church and as a parent, how that's been helpful for me and, and where do we go from there. Uh, but really just jumping uh, right out of the gate, what I, one thing I want to talk about is well, I'm a football fan mm. um, and have been a fan of the Dallas Cowboys mm. since I was a young boy. I've Let's grown up the here. Let's, go. Let's do this. Let's do this. I have grown up here uh, and this has been my team. Um, and you've been sad. Then I've been really happy. I've been as happy as anybody else in the history of <laughs> NFL teams has ever been happy. Um, and, and frustrated. And 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 yeah. I'm a fan, and that's what comes alongside this. Yeah. And Lincoln, you are a fan of individual players, yes. most of whom are retired now. <laughs> that's and true. so you are a woman without a team. Yes. You used to cheer for Minnesota. No, you used I, to cheer for I didn't Green cheer Bay for Minnesota. Green Bay. I was a Brett Favre fan, yes. Big Brett Favre fan. Which is just, you have a cheese head in your office. I do have a cheese head in my office. I don't, I don't want to camp out here. I, Adam. <laughs> yes, sir. You were uh, born cheese where? Head, I, was, that, that well, I was born in St. Louis, segue. but I spent most of my life around Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee. Mil- uh, good land. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. And, uh, and as such, have been a lifelong Green Bay Packer fan. So, but you're not just a fan. You're also... I'm also a partial owner partial in the owner. franchise. Let's okay. not get into it. Josh hates Let's that. Not. It's no, fine. it just... just you and I have had a, a, him and 
Go ahead. This week has been a hard week. So mm-hmm. the, we're recording this on, on the Wednesday following uh, Sunday's game. That's and true. here's what's crazy about sports, and, and we'll move past this because for my we, own heart. Will we ever? <laughs> it was unsatisfying for both of us. Yes, uh, sir. Now, you're happy with the win. I'm happy with the win. Right. I wish I would have been in Wisconsin when we won so I could have enjoyed about five minutes of the victory. But what really is nagging at your soul is the fact that there's controversy hanging over the win. I think I think what would make everyone here Thanks feel better that. is yeah. if if yeah. I said, uh, yes, I feel bad as if we stole the win. No, no, no. Yeah. It, it, was it a catch, Ann? I think it was a catch. And oh. I don't think that means that the Packers stole the no. win. No. I just think oh. it means that it was a catch. It's fine. I mean, yeah. if you guys want to get jobs as NFL officials and go – I Take for sure do not want that job. Okay. You you may be looking for a job somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I understand that right yeah. now this is really my verbal yeah. resume out there yeah. to the podcast yeah. world. If anybody's looking for a Packer fan, spiritual anyway. formation, pastor. It was a tough loss. It was a tough loss. Let's move past this. Tough Let's, win. Yeah, it was a tough win. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, go Seahawks. So, um, I don't think. No, I can't go no, there. I can't, I can't go do there. That. Just, can't do yeah, that. I'm not. I'm just. I'm sad. I'm confused. Let's talk about Village 101. (laughs) Let's let's go Village 101. So Village 101 is something that we launched last year, and um, I was excited about it. Um, I just didn't realize how much fun I was going to have at Village 101. And for those listening who aren't familiar with it, which is probably most of you, it is an opportunity where we have just invited other churches and church leaders to come here with us and spend a couple of days and we just talk ministry. I mean, we're just talking shop about why we do what we do, how we do what we do, uh, how we got to where we got mm-hmm. in terms of uh, ministry process and ministry design and ministry frameworks. And um, and it's it's a good all-hands-on-deck type conversation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Village um, 101 was, uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, we did a, a small little beta run, I guess, about a year ago, last spring, yeah. and then our first official one in the fall. And it is just a, it's a great opportunity for those who are interested in what ministry at the village looks like to come and learn. And um, we, man, we would never say that we have everything figured out That's or right. that we're professionals or anything of that nature. But um, by God's grace, we've been doing this for you know a while and we've learned some things and the Lord's given favor and brought conviction yeah. about why we do what we do in the way that we do it. And we're so happy to share that story. And um, I remember being early in ministry and visiting other churches that sure. opened their doors. And it was incredibly um, shaping. It was and very helpful. influential. It was very helpful. Yeah. And and not only in um, taking great ideas, but also just returning and feeling affirmed. Like, what we're doing is good. We don't have to emulate everything else that's right. out there. It's just good to, to see what other folks are doing. Right. So I would just say, that, come hang out with us. Mm-hmm. We'd love to have you. Uh, come hang out with our staff. And like I said, it's an all skate. I mean, we're all out there and we're, we're all involved in it. And there's, there's something, I think for everybody, there's, there's tracks for leaders and elders for next generation. There's tracks for communications and operations and worship and groups. And, um, and so we're trying to cover everything and, and, um, you know, we're learning stuff along the way and, and hopefully we're able to pass some things on as well. So that, that's uh, March 24th and 25th. All that information is on the website. So we'd love for you to come join us. So I did mention that the month of January is a month of prayer. 
for us in the life of our church. It has been for a number of years now where we just say that uh, as we begin every year, we're going to begin the same way. And we're going to begin by saying that we're a people who are dependent and we're a people that um, by God's grace have been called sons and daughters. And so we both have the privilege of access, but we also have a need Mm -hmm. for that access. And so January is that month where we as a church declare that we need him and that we have the privilege to come to him Mm -hmm. in prayer. And and what I love about it is that we keep praying about the same things. It's always a call to prayer uh, is is how we launch out this month. And then we're praying about the same Mm -hmm. things. We're praying about racial reconciliation. We've been praying about this for years. We're praying about the sanctity of human life and we're praying about the nations, Mm -hmm. that God would take the gospel to the nations. And it's just, I love it. I really love it. It's been... um an anchor point for us and really yeah. shaping um, the, the year and, and just settling our heart at the beginning of a new year on, just as you said, our need for the Lord. And as we engage these big issues, these weighty issues, we're doing so in a posture of dependence. And yep. um, we need the Lord to move. And it's not hard to see uh, division and strife and um, pain throughout our world. And the gospel speaks to all yeah, of does. those issues. Yep. Um, but ultimately, we need the Lord to move. And he's um, He's invited us to be a part of what he's doing um, by being in a posture of prayer. Yeah. And so, as I said, you know, we've got those those three anchor topics, racial reconciliation, the call to go to the nations, and then the sanctity of human life. And so I, I do look forward to having this conversation with both of you as we, as I think the tone and the tenor of our conversation during this show is going to change a little bit as we're, we're going to feel the weight of what we're about to discuss. But that's a good weight and it's a needed and a necessary weight. So we're just going to transition now and really begin to talk about what the segment of culture and theology where we're drilling a little bit deeper into the sanctity of human life, specifically the topic of abortion. When we talk about the issue of the sanctity of human life, I think it's important just to jump in and say from the outset that this this is a massive issue. It's not an issue that is talking about one specific topic or one specific segment. It it covers the gamut of life. Absolutely. And the sanctity of life is is everything from how we view people uh, who are living in different parts of the world. Uh, there's issues that come around that. There's sex trafficking. There's abortion. There's the end-of-life issues mm-hmm. that we've mm-hmm. talked about here on the show before. But the one issue that I really want to focus on for our time together as we talk about the umbrella issue of the sanctity of human life is the topic of abortion. This is one of our uh, topics that we're going to be talking about as a church. We're going to have a sermon on it again this year. We're going to be praying about this. And, and this is a massive burden for us as a church. Yeah, so every year at this time, this is the, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade is next week. People all over the country are having Sanctity of Life Sundays, hopefully, uh, although I know, I'm sure a lot of churches do not. But I think the reason this issue is so important for us to talk about is part of the thing is it is so difficult to talk about. Right. So we don't shy away from or we can't shy away from something that is so important. And at the same time, I think we have to understand uh, the the two sides, the polarizing issue, those people who either don't believe we're talking about a life and they think we're talking about two different things. And here in the church, we, we cannot negate our responsibility to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. And that's, I mean, that is a centerpiece to what we're talking about in abortion. We are talking about the sanctity of life, the inherent value every life has, but here, a life that can't speak mm-hmm. for itself. Right. But now, 
as we talk about this, and I want to flesh this out, and I want us to, to make sure that we talk about this, to reduce this to a political issue is to miss the heart of God. Um, to, to reduce this to the left or the right, the liberal or the conservative, is to miss what the Word of God would say on this particular issue, that this is an Imago Day issue. Right. I feel Absolutely. like we're coming back to this over yeah. and over again. Absolutely. And and the Imago Day is something that as a church we've been um, coming into a greater understanding of as we uh, were in a beautiful design. And we know that um, every life bears the image of God for his glory, that God is the author of life. Um, and so there's inherent dignity and worth, and it is bigger than, um, yeah, than a political position um, or what's at stake financially in, um, in the decisions or legislation that is or is not passed. It's, a, it's an Imago Dei issue. It's a glory of God issue. We have to, you have to see that and know that and feel the weight of that. That's why it's so, um, it feels so heavy, right? It matters. It matters so much. So heavy and so real to so many of our people. That's why bringing this up, we are always ministering to people and want to couch it in the idea of, we understand that this has been a difficult thing in some people's past. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. something that haunts some people, something that people have regretted or have lived in a lot of guilt and shame with. And we absolutely want to be sensitive to that. So as a church, and I've talked about this with, with others before, a healthy church is is a church, one aspect of a healthy church is a church that is both prophetically calling out mm-hmm. this issue, but pastorally mm-hmm. caring for its mm-hmm. people Absolutely. who have who have walked in it and caused it and been a part of it. And so to lambast those with guilt and shame is to miss the gospel. Mm-hmm. But to also not call this out is to miss what the scripture would would say is true about anyone and everyone right. is that we we matter. Right. That's what right. matter. Not because we're good at something, not good at something, capable of something, not capable of something. We matter. You matter. I matter. Everybody matters because we have been made in the image of God. That's exactly right. And I think uh, one of the aspects of that that you're talking about that we have to talk about this is because it is something that happens that is so unseen. Abortion yeah. happens inside the womb. And by the nature of abortion, you don't get to see the detail of what happens. Like right. I was explaining to you guys earlier, I think in the, the movie Selma, one of the one of the corners that gets turned in Selma is when it makes the news and everybody becomes aware of what's actually happening. Like think about, you guys did on the podcast show a couple times ago, you talked about Ray Rice and we're talking about domestic violence. When people first hear that Ray Rice hit his wife, there was some outrage. There was a hate. He got suspended for two games. People thought that wasn't enough. But when the video came out right. that you saw him hit his right. wife, right. it was this guy can never work another changed day in the, the NFL. Yeah, it changed right. you witnessing something changes your perspective mm-hmm. on it. And mm-hmm. in abortion, if we don't talk about it, if we don't talk about what's actually happening, we don't give our culture the opportunity to witness the the actual event of uh, or the actual process of what we're talking about, then we we devalue that life. So you mentioned this earlier, and and you know there there have been those who have debated whether or not you should see or not see. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is important, and and what you said, Adam, in this is um, whether or not they see it or not. There is not an alternative to actually what's happening. That's exactly so. Right. What's happening is a life is being taken, mm-hmm. um, a, a life is being killed, a, a life is being destroyed. And and there is no other narrative there. That that is the narrative that that's happening. And what's what's crazy, and Ann, we talked about this uh, b- before we, we we came on the show here, that that the the pro-abortion movement or the pro-choice movement is changing their narrative to say mm-hmm. 
yes, that is what's happening. And and we're saying that it is, but there's right. a greater value. Right. Right. So the conversation um, in the pro-abortion movement in some circles is is shifting away from it's just tissue. It doesn't matter to, okay, we'll call it a life and we don't care. Um, so it is a life, but there is a, a life that matters more than this thing that is alive that's not, um, you know, an autonomous being. And that's the life of the mother. And so that's the narrative that um, becomes um, more supreme in, yeah. in that camp. And uh, to see those as competing, I think, is unfair. And, um, and, and it's not just, it's not right. Yeah, there's... Uh, there's a shift, I think, and maybe it's a shift that didn't happen, and maybe it's just the awareness of it that's shifted. But there's a where this movement used to be a pro-choice, we're about women making a choice. Like as we're recording this, there's a celebratory service for a sweet little baby Annabelle who got to live seven days. She was diagnosed in the womb with a with a medical issue that they said she wasn't going to survive very long afterwards. But it made news because even after that diagnosis, her mom chose, mm-hmm. uh, Trisha chose to give birth, to give life. And mm-hmm. the reaction in the comment sections and some of those articles were about how selfish her mother was to carry that baby to term. It wasn't about her choice. It wasn't right. about, hey, whether the mom chooses life or death, it's okay. It was, no, we, there was a shift to, no, you need to choose death mm-hmm. for a baby who's mm-hmm. diagnosed with these things. Right. Uh, I guess about a year ago, I had a conversation with a guy that um, ideologically were, were a little bit different, uh, but the conversation was really helpful. And um, one of the things that I walked away with out of that conversation, it, it's very similar to what I walked away with coming out of uh, all of the mess with Ferguson and Eric Garner, was the the need in the evangelical church for empathy mm-hmm. yeah. to rise Absolutely. up. And and so if I just look at the life of some of these girls mm-hmm. or women who are choosing to have an abortion, mm-hmm. instead of, um, uh, in, in a sense, yelling at them what is true, good. feeling the weight of the choice mm-hmm. that they have, and to choose life means means some hardship for them. Right. It means some really difficult things for them. It means maybe some dreams die or some right. opportunities are lost. And uh, maybe college doesn't look like what they thought it was going to look like. Or maybe uh, they're not quite sure how they're going to put food on the table. Those are real, those those are, are real feelings so and real hurts. And, and those are, they, they have a story and, um, and they're human. And so it's not, uh, in, you know, in our world, in our worldview, there's some clarity on this issue. We know where we stand. We value life. Yeah. But we can't be so cold and hard in that stance that we don't see the flesh and blood of the situation and acknowledge that uh, there's a need to come around a mother who we want to keep right. a child and to support and encourage and provide resources so that this doesn't feel like a death sentence for her. Right. So we, we talk about the the role of the church, and this is kind of how I want to turn the segment a little bit. As a church, one, we're going to pray about this, mm-hmm. and we're going to ask God to do something that is beyond us, something mm-hmm. that we can't do. I mean, you know, it, this isn't, there is a legislative aspect to this, but there is a heart aspect right, to this. There's a discipleship aspect to this. There's a safe haven in churches yes. aspect That's to right. this. And, and as a church, how can we cultivate and be a people that can look into the brokenness of some of these women's lives and for them to think, um, this is a safe place for me to go mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, with these hardships, with this suffering, with this hurt? Yeah, I think there's, um, 
there's such a, uh, and Ann Lincoln, you just touched on this, there's, there's such a different perspective that culture has on some really foundational things that we believe. And, and so it's hard not to just make this into like some kind of debate about who's wrong or who's right. There's a heart, there's a person like you mentioned. And so loving, loving our neighbor and, and part of loving our neighbor is serving them. And mm-hmm. what are those needs? And so like a church gets involved with a pregnancy center or gets involved with an organization or gets involved just in the life of an individual family or adoption agency that, that can speak uh, encouragement into a life of a, a woman who feels like she's got no other option, who feels hopeless in the midst of this. There's opportunities for us to do that. I think yeah. where the scripture talks about children being a blessing in Psalm 118, that's something that we have to share right. that our culture doesn't necessarily know or believe. Mm-hmm. That regardless of circumstance, God is trustworthy. Yeah. That regardless of circumstance, even if we're not promising there will not be suffering or hardship, we're in fact promising there probably will be. But in that, God is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. In yep. that, we know children are blessed. Right. And I, I think that so much of um, our heartbeat as a church for years has been, this is a safe place. You know, it's okay to not be okay. And I think that as a church and as believers, we have to maintain that posture for people. This has to be a safe place to not be okay. And families need to be safe places for um, children to make mistakes in the sense that they don't fear telling the truth about something that's happened. And so often um, abortion takes place in secret. And it's something that women or men, they carry with them for decades and they never speak of it because they didn't know what to do then and there's no way they could tell the truth about what actually happened and we just have to continue to reduce the barriers to entry in a sense and let this be a place where we're we're not afraid to walk the long Mm -hmm. hard road with people um, who who need care and support and so praise the lord that the gospel of jesus christ speaks right into this Mm -hmm. and speaks right into the life of the the man or the woman who has taken part of this and mm-hmm, calls them to, to life and to mm-hmm. hope and to forgiveness, mm-hmm. just like he did to me. And it calls uh, us to, uh, to be a prophetic voice uh, before the culture that says uh, we can't stand uh, for something that, that God is against. And so That's right. there is that that tension where the gospel mm-hmm. sits and it's a real it's a real beautiful thing when the gospel is what's being proclaimed and heralded and there is a you know on these uh, sanctity of life kind of weekends um where uh, there is kind of this um this prophetic uh declaration as you mentioned Josh um that that coincides with this compassionate response to those who this has been a part of their life and i think we um it, it is beautiful this thing that happens where we as a church are so challenged to stand for what is right. But at the same time, at the end of those services where the altars are open and we have response time mm-hmm. to receive people who are for the first time telling the truth about yeah. what happened, who've, who've said, I had an abortion 10 years ago and I've never told a soul and I'm here with my husband and I don't know what to do, but I want to heal. That happens. That is a glorious thing. And you're right. The gospel speaks to both in both spaces. Yeah. Amen. And, and- you know, it's a weighty conversation, but I'm glad we're having it, and I pray that we continue to have it. And we're going to move now to talk about family discipleship, and, and it's it's not a far leap into this as, as we talked about the importance of family and, and what family means, and now we're going to talk about what it means to, to raise our kids in an environment where the gospel is flourishing. Just had the opportunity to talk about 
the sanctity of human life and how it, uh, one of those implications of, of the sanctity of human life was abortion. It's just a weighty topic every time we talk about it. Uh, again, appreciate the conversation, but do want to turn now to our ministry and leadership time. And, and during this segment, I'm going to be talking about what I think is linked to, and we, we can talk about that link if we want to, but really talking about family discipleship and how as a church that we desire to bring this to the forefront, to talk about this more regularly, why it's important, um, how do families go about doing this? If you just, you know, it seems to be kind of a stutter step. How do I, how do I start? How do I keep this going? My home's chaotic. I got a lot going on. I, I don't feel ready for this. I mean, there's all kinds of issues that we can talk about here when we're talking about family discipleship, but really want to start talking about the importance of it and why, why really it matters. Yeah, for sure. We've talked so many times as a church, and I hope this is implicitly clear to anybody who's here, that the parent's responsibility, their potential to be the most influential person in the life of their child. Mm-hmm. And that is exceptionally true when you're talking about spiritually and how you spiritually lead your family, what your role is there, what your responsibility is here. And one of the things uh, Matt says all the time from the stage is we are we are not going to let you punt to us the spiritual uh, maturity of your kids. And so what we wanted to do as a church is is not just say, hey, it's on you, so good luck, or hey, it's on you, look it up, figure it out, but give some kind of framework that says, here's, here's what we're talking about. When we say disciple your family, here's some key buckets that, that you can lean on. Right. And, and, and that parents are the most influential person in the uh, life of a child is not anything that we would argue. Just as people, uh, we think about our own story and for good or for bad, whether they were present or whether they were absent, parents make a mark on the life of the child. And the scriptures clearly teach that it's the responsibility and the joy of a parent to be primary in the spiritual formation of their child. So they are disciple makers. And for a parent who is a Christian, who's a believer in Jesus, they are a disciple and then by nature of being a parent, they are a disciple maker because the Lord's entrusted to them um, a child to commend his works to, to show what it means to love Jesus and follow him. But a lot of parents don't know where to begin. And so our, our hope was we want to do this alongside you. And so as uh, ministries here at the church, we feel like we have a part to play in the discipleship of children. It's a community effort. But man, parents, you're primary. And so we are with you and here's how we want to help. So we tried to create some language kind of a framework, as you mentioned, Adam, and then yeah. um, and then some language to, to help that become a little bit more accessible. Yeah, I feel like if, if you're at a church and they say we have a church service, so many of us know what that means. We kind of think there will be worship there, there will be a sermon, and if you're saying, hey, get involved in a home group at the mm-hmm. village, we have a sense of what that means. We felt like there was maybe a lacking of giving real specificity to when we say lead your family. What does that mean? And so we, we define that now. When we say family discipleship, we're talking about three things, and that's time, moments, and mind. So we're talking about creating intentional time in the rhythm of the family's life to to gather around and talk about the gospel. So that might mean one night a week you guys are, uh, a family's gathering around a meal and doing a devotional together. It might mean every night when I put my kids together, I'm intentional about using that time to leverage, to pray for them, to to share the gospel with them, to read them a Bible story. Depending on the age of your kids, it's going to look different, but everybody can do family discipleship time. And one thing that's so key in the the time piece, this idea of creating, building in intentional time into the rhythm of a family's life means that a family needs to have a rhythm of life. And here within our church, our families are so busy. They're obligated to so many things. Their kids are involved. They're um, trying to have their children be a part of a lot of things for the sake of being well-rounded and take advantage of opportunities. But 
so many families just don't have a rhythm that is sustainable or that makes sense. And so um, that's that's what you where you have to start before you even think about how do I create this time? Just what is the rhythm of our family? When do we rest? When do we worship? What does it look like for us to have time together so that we are healthy as a family, as individuals, and as a family unit? And then within that, we value Jesus. So we're going to set aside time. Um, and it doesn't have to look like a devotional that's 20 minutes every single night of the week. Um, it doesn't have to look like reading the Bible every day together or memorizing scripture but it can look like those things. It's just something that, all right, as a family, we know this is a priority and everyone expects we're going to spend time talking about the Lord um, in the rhythm of of what our family does. Yeah. If you're a Josh Patterson, you probably have it on your calendar. You probably have ever noted how each time went. Mm -hmm. You you have a list of what your kids reported gospel response was. (laughs) And then then it should be noted that with all of that, it breaks down because my kids are involved, right? (laughs) And it just... But what you're talking about, and I think is important, that you, if you don't champion it, mm-hmm. no one else is going to do it for you. Right. Like, no one else is going to create this margin right. for you. And it's challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many things that compete against time. There are so many things that are calling for my affection, the mm-hmm. affection of my children, for our time. And it's this one commodity that, to a large degree, we get to determine uh, how we're going to spend that as a family. And so to mark out that time, it's challenging, but it's important. Mm-hmm. And it and it speaks some things to our family, uh, to my wife, to um, my children, to others. Hey, the, there's something unique about this time that, that we do something here Right, as and a it's family. what marks you as a family. You expect that this is what we're going to do because as followers of Christ— we spend time in his word and we spend time in prayer and we spend time engaging one another on things that are difficult and understanding how God's word speaks to yeah. um, the things in life and creating that time is really key. You know, we talk a lot about how we don't just stumble into godliness and right. your kids aren't just going to stumble into godliness. You've been uh, placed there as a parent to guide them and that's according to the Lord's design. Yeah, the Bible, the word the Bible uses is diligent, that mm-hmm. you're going to work right. hard at it and not give up. That's because right. they're going to be, I try to sing a song from church to my son, and he runs around screaming, not that song, Daddy, not <laughs> that song. And I'm not going to give up. Right. I'm not going to go, well, this is too difficult. Or mm-hmm. my kid's old enough to rebel against me overtly. Mm-hmm. So my fr- call is still to lead them. The uh, the framework, time, moments, and milestone, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't capture everything. Right. It's, it's right. not the panacea for family discipleship, mm-hmm. but it is... Mm-hmm. It's our best effort to come forward and say, let's start here. Let's take this framework and run with this. We've talked about time and Mm -hmm. we talk about it's important for a family to set aside intentional time where you're considering the things of God together. Yeah. But then there's there's more than that. It's not just Monday nights at five. This is what we're going to do. But we're also moments. These, we're going to capture these moments that God just gives us. You don't quite know when they're going to come up. And I think that's where for parents, the majority of conversations, the majority of discipleship in a sense um, takes place. And, you know, in all honesty, um, we know just by the nature of having had parents that more is caught than taught. And so parents are discipling their children 
because their children live in their home with them. And so they're emulating things that are positive and negative. But these moments are like just things that happen in everyday life, these teachable opportunities that you have the chance to help your kid process this difficult thing or this victory and connect with these truths that maybe you've introduced in family discipleship time or connecting back to what they learned um, during a weekend service in this moment in the car on the way home from school or on the way to practice and these moments that you capture and have gospel conversations around the thing about the moments and and i think this is where parents should feel a um a good weight is you've got to be prepared yourself Mm -hmm. Like, like to be able to capture that moment means to some degree i've i've got to have somewhat of a good grasp mm-hmm. on the gospel. That's I right. need to know what the scripture says about what my child just brought sure. up. And, and I, you know, I know a lot of men would, would, whether admittedly or not, when we feel incompetent, we'd clam up. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just kind of retreat from that. And I think what God's calling us to here, and I'll just speak to the men, is to step into that mm-hmm. because God has given mm-hmm. you the ability to know his word. And to be confident, you're this kid's dad Mm -hmm. and you're to step into that space. Mm -hmm. And so rather than retreat from that, men do tough things. Mm -hmm. We're going to step into that and we're going to jump in there and, and by God's grace as best we can seize those moments Mm -hmm. because they're here and then they're gone. That's right. You know, one of the, just to touch on that a little bit, there are so many parents who feel um, intimidated, like they don't know enough and kids ask really big questions, way bigger than they realize. And so, you know, to your point, parents can feel like I'm going to be caught off guard. I won't know what to say. That will be unhelpful. I'll make it look like I don't know God or that he doesn't speak to this particular issue. But I just would encourage whether it's a a single parent or um, a a parent in a home where uh, there's one that's uh, more spiritually strong than the other, or maybe um, only one believer, or even someone who's really plugged into the church, that one of the most um, humble responses to a child is simply, that is a great question. I am not sure how to answer you. But you know what? I'm going to go and find out. I need to study. I need to ask someone. And this is a chance for us to learn something together. That communicates to a child that mom and dad, they don't know everything. They know a lot. They don't have everything figured out. And that means you don't have to have all of the answers in order to love God and follow him or in order for him to love you. I think it's one of the most humble things a parent can do. Yeah, I think one more aspect on that, too, on moments is there are a lot of everyday things we do all the time that we may not often think about. How do we communicate the gospel through this? But we're as parents, you're always disciplining your mm-hmm. kids. There's discipline involved. How do I point to the truth of the gospel in that? Or we're going to eat together. You know, we're going to have meals together. We're going to mm-hmm. be in the car together. How do I... How do I leverage those times that just come mm-hmm. at me? And then the last one we haven't talked about yet is milestones. Milestones are kind of like a significant version of of time and moments. Some of them you get to see coming, you know they're going to happen, and some of them just happen. And, and what I'm saying there is like when you're when your child comes to know the Lord, you may not get to pick the day or the time when that happens, but we absolutely celebrate when that happens. And that is a spiritual milestone in the life of that child. 
And then there's also ones that you really get to plan out. You might plan something like a rite of passage for your son or daughter or the first time I give them a Bible or right. uh, from the first verse, I want them to memorize all the way to what I'm going to do when they graduate high school. Something more significant in their life that I get to point to God's faithfulness. And I think that's a real scriptural idea we've talked about a lot. Absolutely. You know, throughout the scriptures, it talks about placing um, stones of remembrance in particular when the Israelites are delivered um, into the promised land. They cross the Jordan and the Lord tells them to set up a memorial stone to mark God's faithfulness in a particular way so that they can look back and remember that their confidence would be um, stirred in the Lord so that they might be faithful and obey. And this idea of, of marking a significant event in the life of a child or in the life of a family where you've seen God's faithfulness is really significant. And even um, the milestones that you don't anticipate or maybe you wouldn't even welcome related maybe to loss, the death of a family member yeah. that shapes a family. You you help children process that and, and laying down a, a stone of even in this very difficult season, we've seen God provide, we've seen him be faithful. We're going to remember this in a particular way so that we'll be confident that God is who he says he is. Yeah. And again, I just, one, I want to thank both of you. I know you were both instrumental with, with some others in helping develop this framework for the church. And so I know you're passionate about this and I'm grateful for that as a dad. And not, so not just a pastor here at the church, but as a dad and, and our family's grateful for that. And then just as a parent to other parents, it's worth the fight. Mm-hmm. It is right. worth mm-hmm. the fight. So persevere, mm-hmm. hang yeah. in there. There, There is no perfect family discipleship moment. It is, if you have toddlers, it's going to look um, like you would expect it to look at times. And and the hope here is that what we're, what we're transferring to the kids, yeah, content and knowledge and scripture and all of that, but also the, the nonverbal things like the value. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad are passionate about this. This is important to us. And, and so I would just, as a parent of four kids where sometimes, <laughs> you know, you just feel worn out. You just absolutely feel worn out. It is worth the fight. And so, Amen. hey, thank you. Thanks to both of you for being on this show. I'm grateful for you for your contribution, not not just here, but much more than that, for how you have served this church. Uh, and Lincoln coming up on 11 years and, and Adam here for three and just making significant deposits as you guys have been here. I'm really, really grateful for you. So thank you for that. Thank you guys for listening. Looking forward to the next show.